Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new series from Super Progressive, where we explore the history of underground dance music. Now, normally on our video podcast, we're interviewing DJs who were pioneers of the underground sounds of their era. So far, you know, we've interviewed people like Paul Oakenfold, Anthony Papa, Danny Tanaglia, Sander Kleinenberg, Stacey Pullen, Dave Seaman, and Steve Lawler. Now, we realize that the history of underground dance music is such a bigger story than just the DJs. And one thing that we've been able to build is a really strong relationship with our followers in the comments. And we actually get some really good discussions um, about what the scene was really like. So for this podcast series, we're actually going to be interviewing um, other fans and followers of the super progressive community and fans and followers of underground dance music to talk a little bit about how they fell in love with the music and what the scene was like when they first became interested in underground culture. And I, we're just so excited for this because anytime we have an opportunity to just learn more about, you know, the stories that haven't been told yet, when it comes to this music that we love, we're all ears and we, we think this is just a massive opportunity to learn a lot more. So we're really stoked. So our first episode today, we have with us, um, you know, a follower that's been with us since day one. He shares great comments on our Instagram. He's always super supportive and offers some great ideas. So um, we're really, really stoked to have Danny Jarvis with us on the podcast today. Welcome, bro. Hey, how you doing, Will? Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit so um, both we can get to know you better and uh, the listeners can as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Will. Um, my name is Danny, Danny Jarvis, and um, I run a, um, another online community called Progressive House UK over in the UK. Um, and that's a, a community similar with a love of Progressive House. And I want to kind of sharing that nostalgia and the modern day era of it and i run something else a dj myself run something called lost in that was uh, something that's run for the last two years through the pandemic and yeah i'm just generally um, massive you know super fan of progressive house music and um have lived and grown with this music since um i very first heard it and um, electronic music has always been a love of mine so it's great to share this passion, hook up with you guys, and uh, yeah, hopefully provide you with some with some stories um, back from the day. Yeah, man, we're just we're just so stoked um, to hear what you have to say. And I guess to start, we'll just take it all the way back to the beginning. For my first question, I'm just very curious: in when was the first time you listened to underground? dance music like when was the first time you participated in the underground and when was the first time you went to a club to listen to this music or a rave i'm not sure which was first yeah sure i mean it's, it's, a, it's a great question um you know growing up um I, I was born in 78 and i was um growing up i had an older brother and sister so both eight years older than me so you know i'm eight years old and they're 16 so they're they're going out you know and the kind of music that was around my house coming out of their bedrooms was was from my sister kind of madonna 
Cindy Lauper, all that vibe. And then from my brother, um, kind of deeper sound, the Smiths and Depeche Mode. And I think it's easy to say that, you know, you, you quite quickly become influenced by the sounds you hear. Um, and I think the electronic sound, especially the Depeche Mode, and to a certain extent, some of the some of the cleaner Madonna um, sounds, really sort of ignited a passion of mine. Um, my father um, was, was massively into classical music, so it's not that I'm into that, but clearly there's a there's a musical love somewhere in our, in our family. Um, and I, I guess once they kind of left home and, and these influences leave you, you know, you're, you're you're young, you come into sort of secondary school um you do get a bit more curious you do get a bit more um intrigued and a lot of the kids my age would have these older brothers and we'd get given these tapes you know and this is how it starts it starts in the playground it's, it's as simple as that you know and you have your little uh sony walkman that you might have got for christmas and you've got your batteries in it you know your double a batteries and you and your mate sneak off to a corner of the playground with one earphone each on the wire <laughs> and you listen to these really crackly really poor quality tapes of music that's just like what's this and um one of the sort of you know key memories of this era is that you know you would get this this mixture of music really kind of like hardcore you know, hardcore really, um, hardcore rave music. That's that's definitely the term. And it would be a hodgepodge. It'd be a crackly recording. You know, you normally had it on like a a ninety minute tape where you'd have forty five minutes on one side of one thing, forty five minutes on the other. And um, you know, the school rules, the playground uh, rules are that you know you can't let your friend just copy this tape. You've you've got to have permission from a higher authority. My big brother says, I can't lend this tape to anybody. I can't copy it. And this is why you get around in groups and listen to it on one earphone. You know, you're not allowed permission to record this recording. The, the irony of which is that it's been recorded about a million times and that's why it's such poor, poor quality. But that's, that's your access. That's your access point. Um, and, and this becomes your, your, your need. You know, you've heard this a couple of times. You learn the songs. There isn't many. You know, if I'm to bring this to life, you'd you'd get a mixture of something like Gat the Core Passion, and you might get Bomb Scare, um, Two Two Bad Mice, mixed with a kind of mixture of music. And really, what, what sort of happens from there, I guess, is that as the scene and the culture changed in in the '90s, and it's happening around you, you're not quite aware of it at sort of eleven, twelve. But these older brothers and these these older influences keep you abreast of this music. You know, your friend either nicks the tape off him and does illegally record it, you all, and you all get a copy. And there's the thirst for more. Um, and the, the kind of hardcore scene, I guess, captured my imagination a little bit. You've got, you've got back then Jungle. It kind of went into happy hardcore. You had these sort of slightly different um, versions. And it really was about what you could get hold of. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I've got to stress that. It was about what you could get hold of at that age. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, you know, you used the term underground, and it was. This was some rave, this was some thing that happened, and your imagination was just fired by these horns or this sort of slight crowd music or, the, or this urban myth around it that, oh, this was a rave down in such and such, and there was 10,000 people there. All very mysterious and exciting. And you know, I guess as 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 the as the the nineties sort of went along, um, 
the the quality of the music um got better um you got over wanting to hear the same music probably mixed by different djs and and you wanted to progress um and and really that's the fork in the road is kind of getting a bit older maybe taking things off in your own direction again the playground sort of essential in bringing something new to your group of friends oh, i've heard this my brother's got this and my brother was in in manchester so he had the manchester sound so he would bring me back these you know these obscure hacienda tapes which were just gold you know they were gold and um, there's another place in in wigan that um a friend andy hurst his his brother would would have wigan pier tapes wigan is a town in the northwest of england not not too far from manchester and it used to be a huge northern soul um influence you know 80 70s 80s northern soul was huge in england very much in the north of england so i guess a lot of these clubs a lot of these venues naturally progressed into sort of raves hardcore house music nights so you'd get these collection of tapes and that's that's kind of how it started um yeah I'm sure you remember, like everybody kind of does, your first night going to the club and hearing this music. Can you kind of walk us through that experience for you? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I guess there's a there's a mixture here of how how loud or how you hear this music and and the, and the technology that was available at the time to play this. I mentioned sort of Sony headphones, you know, Sony Walkmans, and they sort of got a bit better. Um, this is still really not quite Sony Discmans, so the compact disc hadn't really come out. So you're still, you're still dealing with tapes. So the best probably music quality you could hear was was maybe a original tape from the hardcore um, companies, you know, um, there was different companies like Fantasia, there was these different companies that would sell these tape packs. So the quality of the sound was starting to get a bit better. You're no longer copying off your friends. You'd send away off the back of a magazine. This is really like crazy, but you know, you'd you'd get your pocket money, you'd save your pocket money, or you'd go to your parents and you'd tell them that they needed, you know, you'd give them your pocket money and they would write you a check. You'd send this check off in the post to some faraway land where Fantasia would then 16 weeks later send you these fave tapes back in this pack. So, you know, the reason I'm saying this is because up to now, this music is in your ears. Um, and you'd kind of have to whiz forward, really, probably a, a few years to kind of around about 1993-4. Now being sort of 15, you can, you can kind of get away with stuff. So my, my big brother, still living in Manchester, um, was, was quite into the scene, and I think he himself culturally was probably a little bit counterculture you know it, it's to be remembered very much in 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 england that the the rave sort of scene was a counterculture movement in the 90s um so it was very underground you know that that word underground it was this is this is way before the sort of commercialization so you know i was i was suddenly in a position where i could go to the hacienda with my brother now having had the tapes in my ears you know, very much being a northern lad that the Hacienda was known. So this was like super exciting. This was just like super exciting. You know, you have your fake ID, your brother's gonna get you in, you're shitting your pants because you're like, what if I don't get in? You know, you're gonna ruin everybody's night and how embarrassed are you gonna be? Because you're still that like kid, you know, you're still this kid, you've got this like little ego and as much as you're buzzing to get in, you just you've got all this fear and and everything. So 
we 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 you know we go along and i you know the premise of course is that you're going to visit your brother in manchester your parents have got no idea what this older brother's got in store for you and the good thing you know the the, the, the sort of thing to remember is i'm sort of 15 my brother's 23 so he's he's in his prime you don't look at it like that you think he's much older and more mature but he's in his prime so you know there's 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 just everything about the manchester scenes kind of crazy you know this this mad guy turns up at the at the doorstep in a taxi he's been on drugs all night he's just a mad mank and you get in the car and he like literally goes at 70 miles an hour as fast as he can through the city center of salford into manchester and you're like who's this guy what's he doing he's terrifying me and he's on drugs because he's just trying to do as many shifts as he possibly can so he's he's chattering 10 to the dozen screeches up pulls up outside drive bar it's a place called, place called drive bar where you go and it's like a pre-club bar where you go and get you go and get the tickets so all this is of course this is all really quite new to me and we go in and there's a big set of speakers and it's the pre-warm-up bar you know there's this kind of slow house music quite deep you buy your tickets it's all sort of quite sketchy and you, you have this drink and you hang around there for about an hour and the buzz builds and the crowd builds a little bit and then off you go to the hacienda and then it's a revered place i'm certainly not going in its in its sort of golden period i'm more now in 93 and this is, this is tailing off but we're going to see graham park and we're going to see jeremy healy of, of all of all people and it's the cream tour so it's a very early cream tour at the hacienda so it's two huge giants really future an, an older existing giant and a future giant coming together and you know we go up to the door and there's some like the stain on the floor and I'm like, what's that? And the buzz is, you know, it's Manchester and the bouncer got shot the night before. And you're just like, what? You know, what? This is kind of like, should I be here? You know, half thinking, is this real? Well, that looks pretty real. Anyway, you go through the doors and actually this is well worth noting. There's a Sander Kleinenberg um, CD. Uh, and it's this, I think it's his Sander Kleinenberg, This Is Everybody. It might be volume one. The, they have this part of that CD. You're all if they have a queue lined up, and and the intro of the Sander Kleinerberg is two guys in the queue, and they queue up, and you can hear the sort of vibration noise of the music inside, and the doors, you know, these metal doors, and you get this, and then the doors open, whack, and the sound is just like wham, you know, whammo, and if you know this you're just like what the hell is this it's sort of what you imagine it's sort of not and you're very aware of yourself you're very aware of what's going on and you know you're thinking oh it's quite loud and you get near the dance floor and that has the end they had this kind of like street scene that's how it was set out like it was a kind of street scene they had these bollards around the outside of the dance floor so you could kind of walk around and, and go on and i was quite keen to get quite stuck in and, and get on the dance floor I think at this point it was it was probably one of the warm-up DJs, it wasn't even Graham Park playing, but it's just this house sound, you know, this very distinctive house sound that you've been listening to on these earphones and then all of a sudden it's just all around you, totally surrounding you. Um kind of dub, you know, dub stuff, garage, house, that's kind of what you got those days, garage and house. And yeah, you just all of a sudden here it is i'm in it sort of pinch yourself and uh yeah there's just some mad 
some mad stuff goes on and you're not quite prepared for it. Um, one of the kind of, one of the things that caught me off guard or, or totally got me excited and hooked from the off was this thing where the, where the music sort of stops and it breaks down. And then there's this massive buildup where just, you know, the beat comes back in and everybody starts reacting and like hands in the air. And of course, you've never experienced this with your eyes. You, you, you've heard some stuff maybe on these, on these cassette tapes you've been listening to. So when this happens and you're there, I mean, that's it. You know, you're baptized, your hands are in the air and everybody goes mad, the lights go off, the beat comes back in and, you know, whoom, there's this like euphoria for like 20 seconds as it falls back into place and everything happens. You know, you'll get all this dub and then all of a sudden the vocal will sort of range out and everybody's like singing along and it was just mad because what's keen to remember here as well is that the, this, this was an era where there wasn't all these big anthems as such, you know, the, the sort of major anthems that were 91, 92, 93, they weren't played like you'd expect. So, so you know, you had floor fillers, which actually later on became anthems. They filled the floor. So it, it was it was quite different, but that was my, that was a real good baptism of fire. You know, the Hacienda, Graham Park, Jeremy Healy, Cream Tour. I just, I feel very lucky that I was able to be sort of taken by my older brother to, to this monumental evening. Yeah, it's iconic. Like, like I could, I couldn't think of a more epic first night out. I kind of, I've obviously never even been in the Hacienda. You know, I've traveled to Manchester to see it, but only from the outside. But um, the movie 24 Hour Party People kind of gives you such a good idea of what that feeling must have been like it's one of my favorite films yeah and 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 there is there is there is side stories to that you know these these nights that happen you know there are some of the manchester united team you know there are some of the sort of local slash regional tv stars that that are there you know the guy who owned it was often there and there was often cool heads sort of hanging around the bar. There was a real mixture of people and that, that was clubbing all over really. And there was this mixture, a real mix of people and in the real sort of, I mean, Manchester, you know, it's got its reputation and the Hacienda was by then, you know, a little bit troubled. Clubs invariably have problems with drugs. You know, that's unfortunately one of the parts of the scene, but it's just, yeah, just such an iconic place to be. And, um, you know, where the DJ booth is sort of overlooking you. And, and that's very iconic as well, this kind of haloed DJ, you know, up in this box. And, and you know, of course, you all know, I've talked to all the DJs that you've talked to, that they were more shy. This was before the Superstar DJ. This was not somebody throwing records into the crowd and, you know, spinning it backwards and shouting down a mic or some of the sort of crazy stuff that happens in, in the modern commercial era. This, these, are, these are shy guys who love music, who are playing it. And, you know, they're not there to be the limelight. The music's the star. Um, and that, that's, you know, that was really good. Um, I mean, Will, from, from this point, you're hooked. That's it now. When can I get back? Where can we go next? The irony, of course, as well, of being 15 is you can't wait to take your mates when you go back to school. It's crazy. 
you know, you shouldn't have been doing all this stuff. And that just makes it even sweeter. You're just like, guess what I did? You know, guess, you'll never guess what I did. People are just like looking at you going, what? Yeah, total buzz. So, you know, you go to the club a few times and I'm very interested to learn about not, not thinking about genre because this era of music kind of precedes genre of electronic music. But what parts of club culture did you find yourself gravitating towards? What what part about a club night, whether it be like the journey of the the journey that the music takes you on, the the meeting different different people on the same dance floor, you know, making friends through the club. What were you what did you find yourself within club culture, you know, fashion? Like what did you find yourself within club culture really becoming fascinated with? Or gravitating towards yeah that's a that's a good um that's a, that's a great question it's quite a it, it's a it's an interesting question because you will get lots of different answers even though you know we are primarily talking about the same umbrella topic i think i think for me i quickly became quite interested in wanting to to mix the music to to create it to do something um I, I think this sounds over cliched now because so many people are DJs, but you really didn't have a lot of people who DJed back then. You didn't, it was a totally sort of geeky, nerdy thing to do. And it literally was going around mates' houses, you know, you'd all buy these records, you'd sort of stand behind each other, taking turns playing on the record players that you could afford. You know, two of my oldest friends, I'm still friends with today, you know, went out at the age of sort of 14, 15, around this time that I was having this experience, they were also going to sort of local gigs and doing the same sort of thing. Again, one of the lads was slightly older, so he, he could easily get into the scene. And we would, we would buy these records, or probably they would buy these records, and we would queue up, you know, one behind each other playing records in their bedroom on Thursday nights with the parents saying, turn it down, turn it down. And, and I think once you cross over into this kind of hearing it, hearing the music and liking it and hearing it on tapes, finding it and sourcing it and going to a record shop buying it buying more tapes you know i was very keen to almost get really cracking on a library it sounds like it sounds mad saying it today because we're so used to this language of talking about a library of music or having digital music we you know i would have rows and rows of tapes i would never tape over them they became tapes that were important and you know classified and i would use the flyers from the clubs and fold them up and cut them so that the tape boxes were all branded in this way you know when you went to manchester you would pick up all, all of the flyers from hacienda or the, or the people from liverpool had brought over to hacienda um sort of you know places where clubbers would pick up flyers for cream would be the same way they pick up the hacienda and there's this cross-pollination so whenever you went over you would collect as many flyers as possible bring them give them your mate it was absolutely common practice to stick them on your walls. And we're talking about, you know, some of the really kind of early rave posters mixed with like quite, quite clean designs, the way the clubs were trying to go. You, your walls would be covered in these posters. This is quite normal. I mean, we laugh when we see some of the old pictures of, of our friends' bedrooms because you just think parents must have been going, what are these kids doing? But it's literally floor to ceiling in flyers. So, so you, you know, physically you immersed yourself in it. But I think for me, to return to your question, is that I became quite 
keen to become some sort of unbeknownst expert in knowing it, understanding the music, finding parts of it that I really liked. You know, when you get given a tape by a certain DJ and you sort of gravitate to that DJ, you want more of that DJ. You are open to hearing other ones, but you tend to just sort of have an allegiance. Now, that's common commonplace, I would have thought, still. Um, and, you know, we haven't really come to the to the seminal stuff, I guess we'll, we'll talk about, um, maybe you'll ask me, but this kind of having these tapes, this kind of getting into a sound, liking a certain DJ, liking the music they play, you know, a lot of early sort of 90s stuff was quite piano based, so it would be quite happy. Um, there was there was influences of garage music, that was like Graham Park. I still liked some of my hardcore stuff. Um, LTJ Buckham back in the day, was playing just as good music as he does today, but he was doing it in a scene where he was just a billion times different. So I think, I think this element of going, oh, what are they doing? And, you know, you would record, you know, it's mad, Will. You would record music off the radio. You would have these pirate stations and you would, you would get your aerial as best you could without any hiss. And you would kind of record bits of these pirate stations onto tapes. So it doesn't, it doesn't take a leap of faith to kind of say, well, I like that with that. And before you know it, you're mixing on a tape, two tape decks, and you're literally pressing the record buttons using the mic on the tape deck to record the other thing you're doing. And you're trying to make mixtapes yourself. And I was obsessed with that straight off. I was like, well, I can make my own mixtapes. I mean, just these things sound so normal now, but they, they weren't then. And you were like, oh, what do you think of this? And you'd be like, oh. And you'd kind of mix these tapes yourself, very rudimentary. And then back to front, going to the vinyl. I mean, we were all just hopeless at vinyl. You just, you're hopeless at it. It takes hours of practice in your mate's bedroom. They're all at different speeds and you're still playing like a hardcore tune and then you're trying to play a house one. It's, it's just a madness. But it's, it's completely obsessive. You just become obsessed with it. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, thank you for breaking it down like that. It, it's so cool to hear. So, you know, you're going to these club nights. You're you're really like becoming engulfed in the culture of the scene from everything from the club nights to the tapes to mixing the music. What What were the DJs that you remember either seeing on stage or hearing on the tapes and you're like, that's the sound that I'm about, or that's like, that's where I like, I like that shit, you know, like what were the DJs that kind of played in a style and in a sound that you really remember liking um, initially, or what were the records that you liked a lot? Like I'm very curious in that. Yeah. 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 Good, good, good question. Um, this, this fits very well with my, my modern ethos, I guess, is that, even even back then, devoid of the kind of quality of the tapes you might listen to on the, on the playground and moving forward, the production of music, the, 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 the sound quality itself um, was, was quite important to me. Um, my dad, for want of a better word, was, was really into hi-fi. And I remember he was, he was quite a big Queen fan and he, he would came back one day 
88, 89 maybe, and he's brought these massive speakers and and played Queen at just a phenomenally loud level on these speakers. And I think it was I Want to Break Free. And I remember the clarity of it on these big Kef speakers, how clear it was, the beat, everything. And once once you kind of sort of started to dabble in records, vinyl, tapes, buying the tapes, sending away and getting the original tapes, playing a piece of vinyl, you started to get quite an idea of how the sound sounded, literally the quality of the sound. And I think from early on, I started to develop quite a taste for very crisp, clean sounding stuff. And the reason I mentioned that, and I'm not trying to avoid your sort of your, your, your question is that when then you listen to DJs and you listen to the music they played plus how they maybe mixed it, there was an era where you were kind of a bit forgiving about DJs mixing abilities. So they may have got 90% of the record slightly in time. They had to do it quite quickly. You know, it wasn't an easy job. And even in the big clubs when it's very, very loud, you know, I could pick out the quality of this music was slightly different. Now, where I'm kind of going with this is is the sort of arrival of CDs. And when the CD kind of arrived properly for house music, it meant that even by having it on CD, it probably reached a certain commercial level. So you would go to the clubs, you would come back from the clubs, and you would have that after hours type experience. So, you know, I have it in my hand because I, I wanted to kind of remind myself is is the future sound of london you'd put this on when you came back to a club i came back from a club and this was very much in the chill out you know left field category you know left field before left field with the band this left field category and the quality was just it's totally up there you know you'd be listening to it on cd your ears might be slightly ringing from the club and you'd you'd hear this sound so all of a sudden you catapulted forward into going, this sounds amazing. Like what else is out there? And I kind of quite liked the, the Fantasia house collection that came out again, you know, you saved up your pocket money, you bought these CDs. If you were lucky enough to have a CD player, you could play it. But the big change, and this will be absolutely across the board for nearly everybody who's into the music I'm into was, was Renaissance one. Sasha Digweed. I, you know, oh, you have it right most, here. Yeah, it was like the most mysterious album when it appeared because there it was in kind of Woolworths. This is Woolworths, you know, it was where you got a lot of music. Woolworths and HMV, and it was this mysterious looking thing with all this Sistine Chapel artwork on renaissance with Sasha and Digweed and you were like oh yeah I might have seen this in some of my music magazines that I've been getting and what the hell is this and you'd reach it down from the shelf it didn't have any of the music on the back so it was just like this total like what's this and as people started it was very expensive at the time as well I remember this it was expensive man you were like how am I going to afford that you literally might have saved up like two or three pocket on it's on bounce to buy this music and you know invariably somebody gets it I normally to save money you get it on tape so it's like 13 pounds 99 on tape it was like 20 pounds on cd so 
yeah, this Sashin Digweed music was just this quality, just this sound quality and this epicness. And it had these elements of the kind of chill out stuff involved, you know, the, the big long intro with left field at the beginning kind of starts with these big intros. And it was just this totally different music. It was no longer like, it was this proper mix of styles, but the quality was just level up, like complete level up, like mind blowing, what is this? And that was it, three tapes, you know, back to back, just obsessed with it, like what the hell? And there wasn't a lot of it around, so it was not as if you kind of got bored of it. You didn't. You rinsed it and rinsed it and rinsed it and rinsed it. You chew, your tape's chewed up. Oh, my God, I can't. What am I going to do? I can't play this tape anymore. I'm not going to have to, like, buy it again or nick my mate's one and, like, swap it or do something with it on the hand. But this quality, this, like, you've said it, journey, was like all of a sudden hang on this is not just this isn't just music anymore this is not just like somebody who's got a lot of good tunes and put them together this is like craftsmanship this is this is now a level up and this is probably maybe well before i think it was called progressive house or maybe this was the start of it it's to be argued but that album let me tell you will was just mind-blowing you know mind-blowing bold different long you know it's just yeah it still stands as probably my favorite ever mix one of the greatest mix compilations ever hands down so what else uh i saw you brought a couple of albums into the studio what else do we have here yeah um it is it's it's not impossible i think to talk about the early days of um progressive house or even you know the, the the sort of more melodic styles without mentioning Sasha and digweed and and you know 1994 when that came out um the second edition of that was digweed did his own so digweed um 1995 renaissance 2 came out very very different sound um still maybe listening to different things bits of hardcore still but you know, once you'd had an album like that delivered and you'd got used to the name John Digweed um, and the second album of that came out, it was just a game changer. You know, now I'm like 17, now you can drive, now you are taking yourself to Cream in Liverpool. You're now really listening to that CD in the car with your friends as you go to Liverpool. Then you go and see John Digweed in Liverpool and he plays a load of music and some of the tunes he may still be playing, you know, this is back in the day when there wasn't the millions and millions and millions of tunes. So this just became next level. This was just like next level stuff where these DJs would play this stuff, particularly your Sasha, your Digweed, and not at that stage, a little bit Dave Seymour was starting to cross into that sound. But there really wasn't anybody playing this music that was this journey. Yes, it contained some of the big hits of the time, but it was this strange journey. It was this layers and layers of music and sounds, you know, way beyond just the house sound with a vocal and a throwaway kind of breakdown and then start again, you know, this gospel voice. It could just, anything could happen. Tribal beats kind of in their early stages, very electronic noises, you know, BT when he was at the height, just 
like you came away just going, what have I heard? What did you, what have we heard? Like, what is this? And, you know, now, of course, what you do when you're going to the night and you've got much more access to the music. And, you know, at the age of sort of 17, now you're like able to travel. So it's like, where are these guys on next? You're waiting for their next CD, but you're, you're wanting to capture them wherever you can. And, and I guess that was a golden era of that music, sort of 95 to 97 was the real complete era. And then came in 1996, Northern Exposure, which just totally and utterly, for me, blew the doors off everything. It was just like all the stuff I explained about going back after the club and then something else. And again, totally lucky that when that toured, Northern Exposure, Northern Exposure toured, I was then living in Manchester in 1996. So I got to see their tour in the Hacienda. Oh my God. Sasha and Digweed, Northern Exposure tour in the Hacienda. It was just like, now we're talking. And you know, this was like 10 times the speakers, <laughs> shit, 10 times the speakers in. And they just played this musical night that was like, I mean, this is now, I'm getting a bit of a tingle, but I went with a mate, we were at uni together at the time, we went to this night and they, we were dancing in the street for another 45 minutes. Like they opened the doors on the side and people just danced in the street, they didn't want to go home. It was like, no, no. Where's the music coming from? Oh, it was just like, you know, they had to turn the main sound system off. They just left some speaker on at the back and it was just playing and everybody was dancing sort of in the street by the door, didn't want to go home. It was, it was mental. And, you know, the next thing was where they touring next. Oh, it's a cream. Oh my God, it's a cream in the courtyard. Right, we're going there. And that was it, man. This is, this is where you'll probably interview other people who, especially from the UK, will just say, that is it. It was no longer about what you what should we do on the weekend you knew oh, it's this and it's this and it's this how are we going to get there who's driving what we're going to do how are we going to organize it you know there's an all-nighter on oh my god we're definitely going it just became totally what you did and it, you know, it's ironic really when i think back because especially sort of six form years i was <laughs> i was often playing schoolboy rugby as well so he'd like play schoolboy rugby with your school all saturday and everybody would be sort of saying are you coming to the pub tonight it'd be like three or four of us going no we're off to liverpool off to cream and they'd be like ah oh, you're really weird what are you doing that for we'd be like because it's amazing so it's just you know it's totally mad when you think about how it was positioned next to your sort of normal life and i never looked back i was you know, talking about a night in Northern Exposure that, that you know, had started to collect records more and more then and, and you know, very quickly was, was, was sort of DJing and doing the two things. You just, you, you know, you, you knew Oasis existed, but you didn't listen to them. You listened to Sasha Digweed and you listened to house music. You didn't, you didn't join in with the rest of the culture. It was just how it was. That's, that's so funny you say that, because if I was a kid that age, knowing how much I love Oasis now, and I really didn't discover, you know, like, you know, Progressive House or Oasis until, you know, well into my 20s. Not that I didn't know what Oasis was, but they're literally 
you know, one of my all time favorite bands. I don't know which side of the uh, line I'd fall there because <laughs> it's probably my two all time favorite things relating to music. But that's really funny you say that. You know, going back to what you were saying about Northern Exposure, there's a really cool moment on the mix. It's the transition between I'm Free and Ultraviolet. And I think it's on CD one, but like two thirds of the way through what I like so much about that moment is that they're pulling from tracks that kind of buck the culture of exclusive releases for these very, um, you know, prestigious mix compilations. They, they were pulling those tracks from 1990, I think, which is just like an awesome nod back to, you know, the era that they came from. You, you, I know. You, I know you've. Do, I know you've done your research, and you know that your your um, your writing and the content you produce is excellent. You know, as you said, you know fans of fans of what you do read these with delight. And you know, when you research back and you looked around the time, I think the the kind of idea behind this was that Sasha Diggory wanted to to bring forth to people this sound that they played not in the club, and and there was this very real kind of mixture of tracks that they wanted to bring to the forefront that was potentially not that heard or not that well known or within their record collection and yeah quite rightly you say you know the first cd spans quite a quite a, it went backwards which was which was sort of quite different to the era but not that you would be able to tell and again the strength of their mixing programming this is what transpired is this mad sort of nod back to kind of Future Sound of London, these kind of um, different rhythms and slower rhythms, much more down tempo that were normally found on like a chill out CD or very much a left feet in the left field section of the record shop kind of thing. And that was delightful because that that bit, you know, this long intro for the Morgan King thing, it goes on forever and then just all of a sudden, boom, and it dropped. And, whoa what's happened you're off and then the beat starts and what better way to lead into what you know what is the second cd which is almost that continuation of the of the linear journey of like holy holy shit we are off like we we're we're off but you've you've highlighted like a perfect moment it's just this there's this beautiful pause isn't there within morgan king's just this almost stop and like totally different mood starts and it's just total tingles. It's it's just the the perfect. <laughs> I have the melody the in perfect, my head. Yeah, the perfect marriage of a brilliant record and a perfect place to put it. You know, this is this is the art of DJing. This is you've put it there for a reason. It's not it's not just happened. You know, yeah. and yeah, the 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 you know. Kites, the, the 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 you know the rehashed older lyric. It's just exactly right. It's just a perfect moment of like mixed compilation history. Yeah, you, you've you've now. You know, I'm going to say it because it's just for me. The second CD, Wave Speech into Evolution Phoenix, is just one of the single most magical things. You go from this dark dark track 
with this brooding slow build up bam 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 and evolution's tune comes in absolutely the build up before the tune starts the sort of intro of the music swirls and swirls and swirls and then wallop you get this funky beat on top of this dark rhythm and you're just off you, you just you're off into a completely different mood zone and that record the evolution phoenix i've i've that's one of the records i kept out of my record collection when i finally sold it i pinched a few out but i've got evolution phoenix it's, it's probably my favorite progressive house record ever if if not that then um you know kind of calling your name maybe calling your name by bt or that but just ah that part of that see those two cds you've nailed it they're just phenomenal that breakdown that you're talking about when it's like free and then it's i literally die dude it's like it's touching all your neuro parts isn't it like a massage like a head massage i am free it's like your shoulders relax <laughs> you know there's a song in there and they're called out of body experience but it, like it is that it is that. it's just it's ridiculous it's, it's ridiculous i can't i i'm gonna go and listen to it like later. <laughs> i've got to hear it i've got to hear it but it is yeah yeah ability to take one mood and put the next one next to it is yeah it's just what it's about so yeah i guess you know my last my last question for you this has been an awesome conversation and we learned so much um is like you know what's like the defining memory series of memories defining feeling from you uh, uh, for you you know that you'd like to whatever part of your experience with club culture, you know, that you really either identified with or just know your shit about, or you're just really passionate, you know, electronic music culture, underground dance music culture is this huge thing. What's like, what's one thing that you'd like to kind of nerd out on or share with us that like really means a lot to you within this great landscape? Yeah, that's a very that's a very good question, and 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 please excuse me if I if I kind of break it down a little bit into 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 a couple of sections. So as as a music as a music fan of of this music as a listener, um, and, and you know, and a continued fan, I think the sort of wisdom, if you like, I'd like to share with with people who maybe haven't discovered it yet, or maybe are into electronic music but haven't quite discovered this body of work or this type, these type of DJs, you know, you, you Henan Catanios, you Guy J's, you South American DJs, you know, not so much the sound such a place now, but certainly Digweed, is that there is a pay, there is a patience to this music. It is not an instant payoff. This world of completely dopamine addicted behavior you know, scroll on, quick buzz, TikTok, everything quick, get the hit, next, next. It's not that, you know, if I was going to impart this wisdom and say what it is I love about it as a listener, 
is that there you can use this patience and you're rewarded the music is a journey any podcast you listen to today about business or health or any of this stuff they'll all tell you it's about the journey not the end it's about the the journey you're on and it is you don't need all of the tricks but let's not let's not kid ourselves there is an art to it so that brings me to the second bit really which is what I try and do with with my DJ and with my music, which is to use these different influences, use this kind of, you know, to progressive for me is a is a is a philosophy. I know we've talked about this before. You've you've had interviews with other DJs, but it's true. It's, it's progressive is a philosophy. It's not just a style. It's a way of thinking. It is all these elements, these huge layers that get added together, where the two tunes meet. They create their own tune. And all of a sudden the mix is as important as the tracks themselves. And that's hugely important. There's there's a um there's a part on um Northern Exposure on the second C D, Northern Exposure One on the second C D. Um and it's I think it's um it's either evolution into the light, dusk, or it's mellow mellow, but there's this there's this part where the mix almost becomes more than the two tunes together. And th- this is an essential part of the art of the mixing is that when a dj plays there's an element where you can't tell what record it is well that's that's some of the magic but not so much that it's boring but this these subtle elements so, you know your classic sort of in your head progressive house tune sort of starts and build the, builds these layers and that's very much where it is and for me as a listener and a dj it's exploring these these layers and energies this is energy you ask any big dj what they're trying to do and from my time playing in front of crowds you're controlling the energy of a room so once you're in that zone and you're not wanting to be the main focus the dj is not wanting to be the main focus of what's happening and lets the music be a star and you get creative off off goes the music and you're creating this energy not everybody wants to be going mental every five minutes and getting all these big track after track after track hands in the air you know so that, that that's another side of it is this is this this layer in this art and then probably lastly for me what what is it i love about it or what is it i'm continuing to try and do is this idea of putting these concepts together so i like to explore and i read different books mental health um, um productivity call it what you will stuff about science fiction stuff about ai anything that kind of interests me that's happening culturally i go back to the past um listening to different philosophers people and i go and i find these odd clips and i like these sound bites and i find these conversations that i've listened to on podcasts or from the past or i've researched somebody and i like to take those and then i like to put them in with my music i like to layer them over and there's nothing nicer than the sounds of certain progressive music with these sort of voices over you know this isn't a new thing i'm not trying to make out as if I'm doing something that people haven't done before, but to try and make my music, to try and make my version or my vision of progressive house music is to kind of come up with this theme. So that you're not only going on this journey throughout the set of music I play and these different moods that I'm guiding you through, but also create this message so that the, that it's not instant. You don't just listen to it and that's it. You want to go back, you want to hear it again, you want to explore that mix. You want to explore that section, that range of emotions. What did that guy say? What was going on there? 
and and for me that's the, that's the art that's the art bit and i think you know i'm pretty confident of saying that with progressive house music or people that play this style or use this philosophy will will have this in mind and that's what for me makes it different and i just you know i look we we, we chatted you and i before about why is it that it seems to be so popular in south america and it's not so popular in britain anymore it's got to be a cultural thing you know we're not patient the uk are not a patient nation we ain't patient we're trend-led we want quick hit we think and we like to be seen as the leaders of trends and on the forefront i think we've lost some of the old school and you look at south america who regularly maybe the weather obviously the weather helps <laughs> the uk is not known for its great weather but tens of thousands of people just dancing to this music this melodic music djs like nick warren over there he commands audiences over there he never gets in the uk anymore even though he was like a pioneer of the sound at cream we used to go and see him every weekend for local in the courtyard nick warren in the main room and they were playing this sound but that was crammed in a club indoors you look at the modern era and the south americans are just lapping this up you know over in america where you are different areas have got these spaces that they use and i think that's i just think that's sad and i think it's a cultural thing i think we are more impatient and this music is a beautiful patient and yet rewarding music and sound i just honestly like we are now i love talking about it there's not many people you can but it's when you find them it's it's gold it's golden should we should we talk a little bit about the uh, mix that we're kind of the mix project that we're working on together yeah sure yeah sure yeah so um danny actually reached out to us with an you know an awesome idea um to kind of just collaborate on a mix and not me mixing it's all danny's mixing but just kind of through our conversations, give the mix a perspective, you know, give it some context. I think maybe I'll I'll talk with Danny like on a specific type of recording for the mix, or maybe like a super progressive release of the mix. Like it features our in like a brief interview at the beginning to kind of understand the vibe of the mix, what your intentions are, like what goals you set for yourself with the mix. And, or if you're just like letting it rip, like doing your thing, but whatever, I think, I think the context of the mix coming up is going to give us a lot of great stuff to talk about. And hopefully our conversation only adds to the journey, you know, that you're about to take us on. So I'm really stoked about that. I'm not sure. I hope you're stoked too. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I think, I think the, 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 the challenge that I like to put myself under is to create something unique, you know, we again for want of repeating myself we are in a bit of a throwaway culture and so, and sometimes that's a shame you know that there is great new music out all the time and there is certainly um you know millions of producers out there and millions of mixes millions of mixes but i think when you get a partnership like this where there's a lot of care and love in the air for this music and this project and you probably recognize that the audience is, is is definitely matched to what you want this is one of the joys of 
the online community, you know, us, us finding each other, reaching out and working on projects like this. You know, for me, it's like I said, it's not about fame or a million listens. It's about the right people listening to the mu music. And, you know, I want to work on something special for you guys that's kind of got this theme. You know, I'm thinking about it at the moment. I'm always thinking about it and how I can package that up so it becomes very unique to you guys. And it's, you know, you can share in it being your mix. And um, that's really what collaboration's about. You know, I'm sure we'll work on some artwork and, you know, we've, we, we're making the format different and we're trying to work together. You know, this is not a commercial project we're working on. We know it's not. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're fans and we're very keen, but yeah, I, I just, yeah, I hope it's, uh, it's going to be great. I, I know it will be good. That's not a big headed thing. I think it's the right collaboration of people. And um, yeah, I'm really honored to kind of, that you guys said, yeah, to the idea, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, bro, we are, we're, we're down. Um, we're super stoked. And this is, this is perfect. We're coming up literally right on an hour right here. So I think, uh, you know, for any episode, especially a first episode, it went super smooth. And on, on top of that, more importantly, like I learned a lot and I know our listeners will too. So thank you so much for joining us today, bro. Oh, absolute pleasure. Yeah. Keep, keep going guys. You know, I love super progressive and I can't wait to see what other guests and stories you guys uh, curate and give, give us all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if you're, thanks. if you're listening, definitely follow Danny's progressive house UK on Instagram. Uh, it's one of, one of our favorites, a lot of good posts, photographies, mixes coming from him. Um, He's been, he's like super connected, super generous with his time. So he's been, you know, just a huge help for what we're doing over here. So thanks a lot, bro. And we'll definitely talk again soon. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks. All right. See you, man.